praise this morning. Before you sit down, turn to your neighbor, someone you didn't come here with, and say, I am so glad that you are here today. Everyone, let's give a, a, a round of applause to Diana Perez. Ray, you guys may be seated. <coughs> Some of you may be saying, hey, where's the band? Uh, the last time I give approval on so many requests they, on the same day off, um, weddings and uh, graduations and all that good stuff. But I thank God for Diana uh, for coming in and helping us out. Amen? Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, as uh, we are getting ready to jump into today's word, is the first thing is today uh, is, is where we are beginning our life group season. Uh, it's for six weeks. Uh, some groups might be a little smaller, but for six weeks we're going to have uh, some groups that are going to be meeting. Some of the groups are regular groups already that meet, uh, Bible studies, uh, youth group, and so on. There's some other newer groups that are going to be starting up. Uh, this week. So before you leave today, outside in the foyer, Magali's going to be passing you out some little flyers that are going to have the groups that are meeting, when they're meeting, and then all that I ask of you is to go out ahead and find whatever group you're going to be a part of, email that leader, and let them know, because I think uh, a couple of them might still be via Zoom, some are in person. You don't want to show up to the building when the group is via Zoom. Uh, you might not be too uh, thrilled about that. So go on ahead and just send them an email. Hey, I'm interested in being a part of your life group for these next few weeks. Uh, you know, just want to make sure where are we meeting, and they'll give you information on there. Amen? The second thing that's coming up uh, around the horizon is this upcoming Saturday, we are having uh, our first since the pandemic began uh, is our men's breakfast. Amen? Uh, so praise God for that. If you haven't signed up for it, please make sure to do so. Out there in the foyer, you're going to see a sign-up sheet. All you got to do is sign your name there. We've got a good group of guys already signed up. If you're saying, hey, I would like to not only just be a part of it, but I'd like to help out. I want to show my skills in the, in the kitchen. We could use some help. We've got a couple volunteers. So when you sign up, some people already done it. Just put on the side there, volunteer. You're willing to volunteer. I will be personally contacting you this week and kind of just run through the, the menu, uh, one time to be here, and all that good stuff. Amen? So, so guys, no, that's, that's, that's in the future. <laughs> Unless you want to cook for us. <laughs> but anyhow, just go on ahead, guys. Make sure. And, and, and don't just do the where, hey, I'm going to show up, but bring some people. You've got some, some, some young men in your life that you are a father to, or you've got some neighbors or whatever. Invite them. We're going to have some breakfast, but we're also going to have some good word uh, that's going to be directly spoken into the men uh, this upcoming Saturday. So make sure you do that sign up. If you haven't signed up, do so today. Amen? All right. And so that's all we're going to have for today as we're going to be having some more announcements next week. I know we're going to start promoting the youth retreat that's going to go down. It's going to be an amazing retreat. Uh, so amazing that they have to go about three and a half hours away from here. Uh, so it's going to be awesome. We're going to take care of transportation and all that good stuff. So uh, parents, stay tuned to that if your kids aren't already signed up. If you already signed up for the retreat, the, the one that we had to postpone because that uh, other string of COVID was coming and it was at, at an all-time high, if you register for that, you are still registered for this event. Um, if you didn't, then you're going ahead. But we'll, we'll give you more information on that next week. Amen? Let's go on ahead and let's... Let's bow our heads as we're going to pray really quickly for our tithes and our offerings. Uh, we don't collect them here in person anymore. If you're a part of New Life Montclair, you already know we do everything electronically. If you're here today and you say, hey, I want to give, then all you got to do is text uh, NL Montclair to the phone number that's up on the screen. It's safe. It's secure. And as always, as your pastor, I don't come up here and give you giving talks. You, if you've le listened to me long enough, you know the importance and the value of uh, giving what belongs to God as an offering to the local church so that we can continue to do what it is that God has called us to do. Amen? Father God, we come before you. We thank you for this time that you've given us today to bring uh, our tithes and our offering before you, Lord. I pray, God, that it wouldn't be a situation where we're struggling in our heart to give you what belongs to you, Lord. 
but that we would just be thrilled, God, to give you what belongs to you, Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would bless those who have given, bless those who have given sacrificially, God. I pray, Lord, that you continue to bless their marriages, their homes, their relationships, my God. I pray, Lord, that you continue to bless their finances. I pray for those who, who so desperately desire to give but absolutely have no means at this moment, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open up doors for them. Lord, and I pray, Lord, for us, the church, that we would be good stewards of all that comes in, Lord Jesus Christ. That we would, that we would maximize every single percentage, percentage that comes in, Lord, so that we can continue, Father God, Lord, to advance your kingdom, God. And so all of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we also bring this message to you, Lord, that you would use it to speak to people today. God, that you would open up our ears to listen to what it is that you have for us. That you would open up our eyes to be able to see what you want to show us this morning. God, and that you would soften up our hearts to receive what it is that you, the seeds of your word, as your word says, that are about to fall in the hearts of your people, God. That our hearts would be open and receptive to receive what it is that you're going to give us. And Lord, that we would allow it to bear good roots in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, we say, amen. Well, let's jump right to it. We are in our, first, our, our fifth part of this sermon series that is titled, Let's Talk About. Uh, I'm praying that this series has been a blessing to you all. I know it's been a blessing for me to, to teach out of, but it's a, it's a topic in which not many churches are accustomed to presenting to its congregation. But it is a topic that you are starting to listen and hear more and more of. When we're talking about areas of our, of our, of our mental health, different topics we've been covering has been anger. We've been talking about family issues. We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about just emotions in general. So we're kind of bringing these topics up because they're important. You know, for a while, a lot of us thought, hey, you know, anybody uh, dealing with any mental type issues, you know, we kind of just, you know, back in the day, just swept that under the rug, depending also on your culture. But now, athletes, celebrities, people that a lot of us know well or know of are talking about the state of your mind. I mean, we've only are just still kind of digging our way out of a, a, a global pandemic. Kids at an all-time high are struggling with mental illness. And so these are topics that, in reality, we find in the Bible. And what we want to do is we're not psychiatrists, as a, us as pastors, and we're teaching this at all of our New Life locations. We're not psychiatrists, and I'm not trying to play one, but I'm simply trying to bring you some of these topics in relation to what the word has to say about it and to give us some application on how us as children of God, we can walk through and navigate through these things. Today, uh, we are going to talk about sadness and depression. Sadness and depression. And um, as I mentioned, last week we, we spoke about anger, but today we're going to be talking about this specific topic. You know, in 2015, many of you guys may have seen this film, uh, but Pixar Studios came out with the movie Inside Out. How many people saw that movie Inside Out? I saw a little bit of it. I didn't finish it. Not that it wasn't good. It just got tied up, but my kids remember it very well. It was a profound movie which portrayed not only how important our emotions are, but also on how important it was to do what? To, to process them. Not just about how important our emotions are, but how is it that we were to process them. And one of the emotions in the movie uh, that it portrayed was the powerful, that, that portrayed in a powerful way was sadness. You guys remember that one? Sadness. Some of you guys have said never saw the movie. Watch it today. In the beginning of the movie, sadness was confined to the circle of sadness, right? If you remember well. And really, it was a way to keep her closed off and to kind of keep her buried. But by the end of the movie, it was clear how important she was to help Riley, the person, you know, that was kind of navigating through these emotions to process and to communicate what it was that she was going through in life. Like the beginning of the movie, Inside Out, sadness 
is definitely an emotion that we can avoid. We can bury it down deep inside. We can put it off in a closed off circle. We can say, hey, sadness, you stay over there, not wanting to, to get it out. Or sometimes people tell us, hey, man, be strong. Don't be sad. Be strong. Suck it up. How many of us have heard that? What are you crying about? These are all things that we have heard, but thankfully, and I want to make sure that you all today hear this, and that is that God doesn't do that to us. In the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our uh, struggling with depression, whatever the case may be, God just doesn't come along to his sons and daughters and say, hey, you know what, son, daughter, suck it up. Or don't feel that way. And the Bible, as a matter of fact, also doesn't communicate a message that says that same thing. We see time and time, and time again in Scripture people that are experiencing sadness. Time and time again in Scripture, we see people who are struggling with despair, people who are struggling with depression. Can I take you through the book of Psalms? Listen to these guys. These are, these are people, I'm not sure if we're going to have these up on the screen, um, but these are some people that we know in the Bible. This is with Job. Everyone knows the story of Job, right? Job says this. He says, I have no peace. No quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. That's in, the, that, that, that's in the Bible, in the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 26. Elijah says this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. He says, I have had enough, Lord. How many of us have said that? He said, take my life. I am not better than my own. Naomi says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 14 and 18 says this. Jeremiah says this. Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow? And to end my days in shame. This is getting me sad. These are the hearts of people in the Bible that we are reading that have struggled, that, that, that struggled at one point of their lives or another with sadness, with, with despair, with depression. David writes, the famous King David writes in Psalm 69:3, he says. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. These are all deep. And I know these are strings. These are, these are plucking some strings in some of your hearts right now. Because some of you are saying, man, I can relate to this. I can relate to Jeremiah. I can, re I, can, I can relate to Naomi. Spurgeon, he's a famous writer, he says this. He says, God's people sometimes walk in darkness and see no light. There are times when the best and brightest of saints have no joy. But we also see time and time again in the Bible, God being one of comfort. We see in the Bible God being one of care. We see in the Bible God being one of refuge. In Psalms 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Someone say amen to that. Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Some of us are walking around like a wounded soldier, and we need to find Christ to say, God, can you please bind up my wounds? The beautiful thing is that we are not alone in our sadness. And God gives us care. God gives us hope, and he gives us guidance through it. So before we talk about sadness, though, in the present today, 
I want to make sure that we understand the difference between the two because there is a difference between sadness and depression. You see, sadness comes and goes, right? A lot of times we get sad. Why? Because something has happened in our life that has called, you know, causing us to be sad. Maybe we've lost someone, whatever the case is. However, depression is constant. Sadness is a regular emotion response that we experience in hurts, in loss, in distress. It can come and go, fading whenever something is triggered or whenever something is gone. However, depression doesn't come and go so easily. It doesn't rise or fade based on triggers or even require one. It is simply present and it is constant. Sadness is connected to something specific where depression is a general state of being. So with sadness, there is some type of trigger, something that can be pointed to which has caused it, right? A moment of loss, failure, rejection, or some other difficult situation. But depression, on the other hand, is vague. It is not a response to a specific moment or situation. It's common for people who are de de depressed to not know why they are depressed. That's the danger behind it. Man, I, don't, I just don't know why I'm in this funk. I'm just feeling so down. Everything is going good around you. Everything, everything is working your way, but you just, you've just got, got this cloud that is over you. The idea of sadness is in both. But the person who is sad has feelings about something, and the person who is depressed has feelings about everything. Sadness is more subjective. Depression is more objective. One article that I found says this. It says this. It says, it's, I'll, I'll read it straight from the text here. It is up to you to say that you are sad. No one can deny that you are sad. It is something you experience subjectively and independently. However, depression, on the other hand, has set criteria and requires an official diagnosis. One source from this uh, source called the Mighty says this, Sadness is a very real and difficult emotion to process, but depression is an overwhelming numbness that requires professional help. So I hope that by me kind of telling you that you can see the difference between the two. And it's important to cover this. It's important to talk about this because we, we must speak about these things in real, in sensitive, compassionate, and healthy ways. And what better way than in the pulpit, right? Maybe hearing these different ways are going to give you language that are going to help clarify your feelings. Maybe you've been here today and you're like, man, I've kind of been, I feel like I'm struggling in this area. And now you kind of get to say, well, maybe I'm struggling more with just sadness. Or you know what, maybe I, I am really dealing with some depression. And if that's the case, then you may realize, man, it's time for me to get some, some, some professional help. And if that's you, that's great. Dealing with these things, it takes a lot of strength. Coming alongside someone dealing with them takes a lot of empathy. And like I said, Scripture gives us care. It gives us hope, and it gives us guidance. And to take you to a little bit, to navigate you through this a little bit, what better way what better person to look at than Jesus Christ? You know, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that as I've been talking about a lot of these different emotions, uh, a lot of these different topics, I've kind of been able to take you to Jesus and kind of been able to show you and exemplify that some of these feelings that we feel our Lord and Savior felt. And the importance behind that is this, is because you feel a certain way that some people may look down upon, doesn't mean that that feeling, that emotion is a sin. It's what you do with that emotion that sometimes takes us down that path. Because Jesus was someone who didn't sin, yet he dealt with anger, he dealt with anxiety. He's going to deal with, 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 with some of this sadness that we're going to talk about today. If you got your Bibles with you, open them up with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 36. And if not, no worries, you got some in front of you, or we'll have the passages up on the screen. This is a part in Jesus' story that really just, I, I've always been so, so in love with. Because, you know, some people who have these self-made gods, they, these gods are gods that sit in, the, in, in, in its place of authority, 
and have no feelings and you have to do all these things to be made right and sacrifice and all this stuff. But here we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at one of his most vulnerable spots. And he doesn't hide it. He's not too macho man to hide it. But he lets us all see it. And it says this in chapter 26 of the book of Matthew, verse 36. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Everybody say sorrowful. Even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Little backstory if you're not familiar with this. At this point, Judas has, they were at the Last Supper. Jesus is saying, hey, someone's going to betray me. Someone's going to deny me. All these things. Tonight is the night, the, the night that I will complete the mission of me coming here. Me taking off my robe of majesty, sitting at the right hand of my father, and putting on this robe of flesh. Today's the day that my life is going to be turned over. Today's the day that I'm about to die for your sins. And so Judas goes out to tell everybody where Jesus is at. Judas knew Jesus' praying spot. And Jesus is now starting to realize and feel these very real, raw emotions of what it is that he's about to experience. Not only is sin for the first time about to be placed on him as an atonement when he dies on that cross, but people that he deeply loves are going to betray him. People that he has done ministry with are going to deny him. And then, not, that's, that's not to mention all the physical pain that he's about to go through and experience. In verse 37, it says that Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. The idea of troubled here is to feel anxious. And I talked, I talked about this on Mother's Day over the sermon on anxiety. And how the Bible says that he was, you know, it doesn't necessarily say that. But we see that the Bible says there was like droplets of blood. And we've seen that medically there's a condition where the anxiety just gets so bad, so hard that you can't even contain it. That some of the capillaries start to kind of bust a little bit and starts to, you know, mix in with the sweat and all that stuff. And, and that, that was the state. Of Jesus to say that Jesus is feeling sorrow and anxiety is to say that he's feeling dread at this moment in verse 38 Jesus tells them my soul is very sorrowful even to death the picture here describes someone at the deepest level of sorrow humanly Jesus is the, in essence, what he's saying is, I'm so full of sorrow that, guys, it's killing me. This is not the only place we see Jesus expressing strong emotions either. In John chapter 11, we read about him sobbing at the, at the, at the notice of him losing his good friend. He experienced sadness. In the shortest uh, scripture and passage, we see Jesus wept. In John 13, it says that, he was deeply disturbed at the idea of being betrayed. But here in the garden, the emotions are the most intense. Because he's, he's, he's just navigating through all of this at the same time. We can downplay or we can minimize them, but this is, this is beyond sad. So reading the, net, the, the, the text correctly is very important and is very powerful. He who knew no sin, which is what, we, what the passage says about Jesus, felt and experienced dread and sorrow. So that means for us to experience dread and sorrow is, like I said, not a sin. It's not a sin. He never did anything wrong. So that means it wasn't wrong for him to go on ahead and say what he said when he says, I am so full of sorrow, it is killing me. Because sometimes we hear people say that, and right away we're jumping on them. Don't say that. Don't say that. You shouldn't say that. But the reality is, if that's your state of emotion, it's important for you to communicate that. We know that Jesus is over everything. 
that Jesus is glorious, that Jesus is everlasting, that he's able to subdue all things. He has the power to perform miracles and to forgive sins. And at the same time that he's able to do all those things, he fully experienced the human realities of sorrow, pain, dread, and suffering. He's glorious, and sometimes glory He's all-powerful, and sometimes the powerful feel agony. This should be a huge comfort for us to listen to, especially when we think of our, uh, when we start thinking of our lives. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was praying, it was like an olive garden. That you, you had, don't think of the restaurant, guys. Relax. All right? Because I did. But we're thinking of the we're thinking of these, these these olive trees, and the word Gethsemane means oil press. Olives are crushed for their oil, right? That's how we get the, that good oil. Give me that canola oil, vegetable oil. Give me that, give me that olive oil. That garden that he was there weeping. Listen to this. That he's that that, that he's going through this agony. In my mind, I think of something being pressed, and that's exactly what was happening at that moment. When Luke describes the agony Jesus is going through while praying, this is what it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. He says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's the passage of what I was talking to a little earlier and what I mentioned on Mother's Day. The emotional weight of what he experienced it was crushing him to the point of not only dread, and, but, but sorrow also kind of coming out. It was the actual blood being pressed out of Jesus. We, it's a, we read through things, but when you really read them in context and you learn, boy, it's like if Jesus was actually being pressed in there at that day. There are moments in life that we experience which press down on us. There's moments of life in which we are experiencing that we are feeling like, man, this moment, this season, it is really crushing me. How many people have felt like that? Maybe you've lost a job. Friendships ending. Maybe you've been mistreated by others. Maybe you're dealing with a sickness, facing death. Maybe losing a loved one. Looking at society's failures towards people. Plans that you have had planned, all of a sudden, them being just kind of pushed to the side. Car accidents, loss of promotion. We experience these moments, and the reality is that when we experience these moments, they do what? They, they press us. We feel like we're being sucked in. I've heard people explain emotions, being like, I feel like I can't even catch my breath. And the reality is, when we're going through these seasons that things are pressing us, Maybe blood is not coming out of us, but emotions do. Emotions do. We start to express sadness, dread, exhaustion, anxiety. We start to express grief. And as we think of what it means to follow Jesus, it is both comforting, but it is also empowering to know that if it was not a sin for him to experience sorrow, then it is not a sin for us to do so neither. If he did not minimize or if he didn't write off his agony, then we should not minimize or, 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 or go on ahead and write off the agony that we are experiencing as well. In other words, what I'm saying, man, if you're feeling down and downcast, let it happen. Let it happen. If you've got to, you got to, you're filled with grief and you've got to just let it out in one way or another, let it out. You've got to cry, cry. If you've got to admit, hey, to somebody, I'm sad, I, I'm feeling depressed. Don't, don't, don't keep that caged up and locked up inside of you, but express it. I want you to find comfort in this. I want you to find comfort that what in the garden, what is it in the garden that Jesus models for us to consider for our own lives? And that's what I want to show you briefly. What in the garden, when Jesus is being pressed in with grief and 
and, and sadness and all of these things. As he, he's going through these emotions. I want, I want you to see what Jesus modeled for us to consider in our own lives. And the first thing that I see from this is that we need to give a name to the sadness. Give a name to the sadness. I don't want you to miss how this text describes things. See, the narrative part says that he was sorrowful. It says that he was troubled. But Jesus himself articulates when he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. See, the writer tells us one thing, and then we see Jesus' words himself. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. You know what he's doing? He's naming it. He's naming it. Typically, we can speak language that minimizes or masks our feelings rather than naming it. Or, on the other hand, we try to spiritualize it away rather than being honest with it. Doing this is like joy creating the circle of sadness. It may sound positive. It may sound strategic, but truthfully, it's destructive because the emotions are not seen as real, and in reality, they're being denied. Outside of Jesus naming his pain, there's another great example in Psalms 88, and here's the first half of it. It's long, but I'm just going to read to you the first half of it. When we're talking about naming it the pain, in verse 1 of Psalms 88, it says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah, you have cursed my companions to stun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you. O oh Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Obviously, this is not a happy song. But it's in there, it's in the word of God, and we got to give thanks to him for it. The writer goes, listen to this, one metaphor after another for his feelings. He starts off by saying, full of troubles, drawing near to chill. In other words, what he's doing is he's kind of naming that. He says, you know what, God? I feel like I'm going through hell. He says, a man who has no strength. He's naming that. He's saying, man, I'm, I'm feeling empty and I'm feeling weak. Like one set loose, he says. He's feeling like an outcast. Like one whom you remember no more. He's telling God, God, I, I feel forgotten. Name it. Name your emotions. Name your feeling. Name your grief. In the regions of dark and deep, he's saying, I feel lost. You overwhelm me with all your waves. He's telling God, God, I feel like I'm drowning. My companions shun me. I'm feeling alone. You see, like Jesus in the garden, the psalmist who's putting this together, he's giving a name to his pain. None of us, a lot of us at least, when we're feeling pain, and it's, we've been feeling it for a while, we want to know what that pain is. We, 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 we schedule an appointment with the doctor because we want the doctor to pinpoint it. Tell me why I'm having this pain. Give me a name. Whatever it is, tell me what it is and tell me how to deal with it. Tell me how to fix it. A sad truth is that some of us, we walk around feeling a pain, but we, we, we kind of want to keep it there and we don't want to give it a name. As long as you don't know what it is that's ailing you, what is ailing you might be killing you. You got to find out what it is. 
The psalmist gives a voice to his pain and he names it. And when we go through life's worst seasons, church, some of us maybe are saying, man, I'm going through that season right now. Or some of you guys are saying, praise God, I'm coming out of it. And if that's not neither of you, then guess what? Sooner or later, you're about to go into it. When we go through life's worst seasons, we have to speak our pain. We have to name our struggles. To not do so, you know what that is? It ignores the biblical invitation that we are giving, are given. And that is to be real. That is to be honest. And it's to be open. So if you're in a season of sadness, which you have to think about it. Which best describes what it is that you're experiencing right now? If you're in a season of, sad, uh, of sadness, what best describes what it is that you're experiencing? What does your sadness point to? What is it that your sadness is? What is it that it is revealing to you? And like Jesus did, give it a name. Give it a name. Whatever it is, give it a name. Let's read the rest of Gethsemane's story to see a couple more things that Jesus modeled to us. In verse 39, he continues, it continues and it says this. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so, could you not watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. I hate to be the one that Jesus came and found sleeping. Just like, the, just like the preacher right now. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. At this moment, we can see Judas and, and the flaming torches or whatever coming as he was about to be betrayed. But the second thing that we learn from Jesus in the garden that we can go on ahead and use ourselves is this. Invite others into your experience to help you move through them. Invite others into your experience to help you move through them. So first, when you're going through the season of sadness or depression, you want to name it. Second of all, you want to invite others into your experience to help you move through them. You don't got to go through it alone. Jesus continually, as we see, engaged others with what it was that he was feeling. He brought his two disciples alongside him, right? Him and his disciples, they went to the garden. He brought them all to pray, but he, he, he kind of shared with three, with the three that he was closest with, the depth of this song. Because now he, we see that it changes from the 12, that he names the three, and then he, we see that he explains that he's at the moment, his sorrow is so deep, at the point of death. In fact, I don't want you to miss this detail, but he asked the 12 to pray, but he asked only the three to watch. Jesus needed his three friends to sustain him. Jesus needed his three friends here to carry him. You know, he's here in the garden, and how other scriptures say we should be towards one another, we start seeing that. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We see here the importance of, of when we're going through these difficult seasons, through these burdens, specifically today as we're talking about sadness, these, these seasons of depression, is we've got to bring others along with us. You're not meant to do this by yourself. And some of you say, man, Pastor, I've got my own problems. Well, memorize Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens. 
what the Bible says. In other words, your brothers and your sisters in Christ, their burdens are, 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 are guess who else's burdens? Your own. Your own. Carry each other's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. And so he wants them there. He wanted them three to wash hands. You can take it a step further. It says, man, he wants, he, he, maybe he wanted those three to suffer with him. He wants them to carry the burdens in which he was carrying. Listen to this. I'm not sure if, some, if any of you are, are familiar with Martin Luther, not, 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 not King Jr., but Martin Luther. He was, he was what was known as a champion of the reforma Reformation. But this brother who has many writings and all these type of things and a lot of the, that the Lutheran churches have come from, he is someone who battled with depressive episodes. And it's actually, I think they, they had made a film. I don't know if it was on Netflix or whatever about him. But listen to this. At one time, he wrote this to a friend. He says, I did not sleep at all last night, and I still have no peace. Please pray for me, for this malady will become unbearable if it goes on as it has begun. I am growing sluggish and languid and cold in spirit and am miserable. This was him going out ahead. And he, is he keeping this to himself? Did someone find a prayer journal of himself talking to God? No, he's writing this to a friend. He's saying, what? Pray with me because this is what I'm experiencing. At another time, one of Luther's students uh, had confided in him about the despair that he was experiencing and that he was even contemplating, co contemplating suicide. And this is what Luther went out ahead and wrote to him. He says, by all means, flee solitude, for the devil watches and lies in wait for you most of all when you are alone. Everyone say alone. Therefore, Jerome, joke and play games with others. I love that. In this way, you will drive out your diabolical thoughts and take courage. Be of good courage, therefore, and cast these dreadful thoughts out of your mind. Whenever the devil pesters you with these thoughts, at once seek out the company of men, drink more, joke and jest, or engage in some other form of merriment. He's understanding what we need to understand. And is that in this world that we are living in, when there's so much that there's so many reasons for us to, to cripple up with anxiety and lay in a bed and not move and not do anything and have these thoughts, these thoughts to harm ourselves, these thoughts that no one wants to deal with, and all of these thoughts that the enemy tries to go on ahead and throw in our mind, Luther says, listen, don't be alone. Because it's when you are alone many times that you are more, more vulnerable to these thoughts. Luther knew what Jesus mouthed. We need to bring people into our experiences. Now, many times we feel when we're going through these struggles, that's the time we need to be alone. Right? I need to be alone. Oh, let's go out to this, to this party. I need to, I'm not feeling, I, I want to be alone. Oh, let's go out to this family gathering. Nope, I want to be alone. And it's, isn't it interesting it's the quite opposite action that we need to take to help us sometimes to get out of this funk or whatever it is that we may be going through. You know, it's like, it's like when you say, man, I don't want to go to this church function. I, wa I don't want to go to church on Sunday. I don't want to go to, I want to go to that men's retreat or women's retreat, whatever the case, whatever it is, men's breakfast this is coming up. I don't want to do that. It's the same thing. But man, all of a sudden, you go, maybe your wife pushed you, your husband pushed you, whatever the case is, you go and you do it, and, you're like, and all of a sudden you say, man, it was such a blessing. Man, this is exactly what I needed to get that breath, that, that fresh breath, uh, breath of air in me. You see, sometimes the enemy sees and wants us alone when we're dealing with this. Why? So that, so that sadness, that anxiety, that depression, whatever it is, can continue to grow its ugly roots deep down inside us. 
and make us in a state spiritually like we're in a vegetable state. Don't be alone. There's a couple things to think about here. If someone invites you into their sadness, because that's, that's me telling you to, to, to try to, you know, not be alone. But now, if you're fine, or maybe even, even if you're struggling, but if somebody else is struggling and they ask you, they invite you into their sadness, there's a couple things I want you to know. The first thing is I hope that you see the immense privilege and responsibility that that is. Listen, for someone to reach out to you and to be vulnerable and to say, this is what I'm struggling with, please don't blow it. Please don't blow it. Understand and, and don't look at it like, ah, that's so good. Now I, now I got another thing I got to deal with. Like if, I, like if my husband wasn't driving me crazy enough, I got to deal with her issues with her husband. But I want you to understand that if somebody reaches out, even, even if it's a text message and you can see, hey, there's, there's even, sometimes they won't go out all out and say it, but there's just a little bit in there. Man, I pray that you would say, God, give me the wisdom, the eyes, the discernment to see and know when someone needs you. And understand that that is important, that that is a privilege for someone to come to you and ask for help. Don't just tell them you are responsible for your own health, you know, and not walk alongside of them. Don't do that. Don't just skip over their pain to the positive and, and don't simply go on ahead and, and compare their experiences to others telling them, yeah, don't worry about it, you're going to get over it. Don't, don't be very, very cautious with the words that you use. Listen to this, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he, he went on ahead and he said this. He's got lots of great writings. But he says, some strong-minded people are very apt to be hard upon nervous folk and to say they should not get into that state. And we are liable to speak harshly to people who are very depressed in spirit and say to them, really, you ought to rouse yourself out of that such a state. Then he says, I hope none of you will ever have such an experience of this depression of spirit as I have had, yet I have learned from it to be very tender with all fellow sufferers. The Lord have mercy on them. Meaning, man, if you've been through some rough patches in your life, you know how you felt. Well, hopefully, you take what you, how you felt, and you know that that is the same thing that that person is going through at that moment. And you go in there with tender words and not harsh. When someone invites you into their pain, be with them. Be with them. Don't try to fix them. I know it's, it's, it's sometimes that's natural for us. Oh, she reached out because she's having these issues. Let me think of what to say to help this person. No, maybe just go out with a cup, get a cup of coffee or tea with them. Maybe go out and just hang out with them a little bit. Be with them. The closer to the trigger cause, presence is more important than anything. Anything, just being there with someone. If you're in a season of sadness, it is an act of strength, not of weakness, to go on ahead and invite others to your sorrow. So today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be challenging you. Your pastor is telling you, if you are in a season of sadness, you know what your homework is? Pray a little bit and reach out to someone and say, hey, I got an invitation for you. Oh, great. When's the party? No, no, no. I, I, it's some other stuff. And, and if they say no, say, well, the pastor gave me this assignment. And listen, not to, I'm not saying that you need to share this with everyone, right? But you need to share it with someone, okay? Take Luther's advice. Find things that will make you laugh. Whatever, right, in the passage, whatever's noble, whatever's true. And find people to laugh with you. There's some people that you know that you, get, you, you just hang out with a little bit, and you crack, they got you cracking up all the time. You just look at their face. Not that they're ugly, but they, you're cracking up. Invite them to something. Hey, come over to my house. Invite them to, to, di to dinner or something of that sort. You like game nights, man? Do it. We need reminders, church, even in the season that we are currently living in. We need reminders of what is good. We need reminders of what it looks like to help care for each other. We need reminders of what grace ought to look like. So who is someone, who is someone that you can invite into your pain or sorrow? 
whatever popped up in your mind, send them a text message or give them a call. A good thing that for this too, besides this, if that's the easiest part, maybe, maybe, maybe if it's really deep and hard and seek some type of counseling. Counseling is good. It works. Or maybe when we're leaving today, make sure you grab that that that, that life group uh, packet or page that we're gonna have out there. Take a look and say, hey, where can I go that I can be with other people? Okay? The third thing that we learned, and with this we're going to be closing, the third thing we learned from Jesus there in the garden is trust the wisdom and promises of God with your child. Trust the wisdom and promises of God with your sorrow. We see Jesus Christ praying three times in the garden. Three times. These are some of the prayers that he said that I just read. I'll just read it really quick. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He then, on the second time, goes on and says, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The third time, he says, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. There are two parts of Jesus' prayer here. In the first, he's asking the Father for another way. Again, just showing his, how his state, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the form of flesh, praying to God the Father for another way. He's asking that the pain would end. He's asking that the suffering would be avoided, that the cross would not happen. Do you hear it? Do you hear his ask to God? He asked if there was a different way other than the cross. He knew no sin. He did not sin praying this prayer. Some of us say, hey, I feel bad saying, God, can, can it be another way? No, you can pray that prayer. You can pray it. In the second, the son trusts and submitted to the will of the father. That's why you can pray that prayer. You can say, God, this season in my life is so hard right now. God, can you please take me out of this? Can we please avoid this? Can you show me another way? But at the end of the day, you have to be able to say, God, let your will be done and not mine. That's how you just put that cap. I, 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 instead of it being about you, God, I don't want to do this. Say, God, I don't want to do this, but if it's your will that I do this, let it be done. I really don't want to go this route. But when we start applying what Jesus said and how he concluded that prayer, we can say, but I trust you that this is the best route to take. Jesus trusted the Father's perfect wisdom. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, it says, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is instructive. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. When Jesus rolls on ahead in that garden and says, Your will be done. He's trusting how God, how God's perfectly devised, perfect ending, how his perfectness is going to go on ahead and just come out regardless. He's trusting how God sees things. He's trusting how God fits things together and how things work towards the Father's plan. You see, because we have to understand that we don't understand why we're going through a specific season of sadness or depression in our lives but because we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what maybe possibly God can be using to help shape us into what it, what, what it is that he wants us to be. We don't know why maybe the issues that we are going through today is because later on we're going to be able to help hundreds of thousands of people with. We don't know that. We don't understand that because we don't know our tomorrow, but our God does. Our Lord does. He's got your whole life sketched up. That's why Jesus says, if there's another way, let it be, but if not, let your will be done. Church, we've got to get in the costume 
of being able to put that discipline in us to say, God, your will be done. I don't know why I feel the way I feel today, but I am trusting in you. Listen, life is too hard for you today to have tomorrow figured out. Give it to God. Give it to God. So we can pray just the way Jesus prayed. It is permissible, permissible to ask God to change things, to go a different way, to, to remove the sadness. However, this must be in, done in a spirit of truth and submission. That's it. Prayer is not a spiritual shopping spree. It's the language of conversation and relationship with God. It's okay to ask God, God, can we go a different route? Because I know I've asked that. As long as we trust the route that he takes. When we approach God in prayer, we need to be honest about our emotions. When you approach God in prayer, listen, be honest with your desires. Trust his wisdom and submit to his ways. We need to ask him to bring our hearts back to the promises and the faithfulness. So make sure, church, in this little example that I showed you, in your season, because this is what we see Jesus do, of sadness, of depression, name it. Name whatever it is that you're dealing with. Go on ahead and bring others with you. Invite them to share. Not that you're trying to give it all to them, but you, you want them to walk alongside of you. And third, Trust God, because he knows your tomorrow. I'm going to ask that you all stand to your feet. And just close your eyes right there where you are at. And very quickly, all I want you to do is I want you to think about these things that we talked about here. You know, are you dealing with, with maybe sadness? depression. And maybe right now you're fine, but, but you know that you have dealt with these things. And I want you to go on ahead and just begin to, to, to name them to God. Right there where you're at, go to God and just let him know. Lord, you know. You know what it is that I've dealt with. You know what it is that I'm feeling. You know what it is that I have struggled with in this area. And begin to think and ask God, God, who is it? Who is it that that you are going to or are going to direct for me to reach out to, Lord, to walk through with this. And then lastly, give it to him. Just give it to him. Trust God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Father God, we come before you right now at this time. Lord, I thank you for the word that has been spoken. I thank you for your word, Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for never telling us or expecting us to do that you didn't already do. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for showing us your emotions so that we can know that we are not too far off from this God that we serve. That you were here, you walked this earth at one point, and you dealt with the emotions and the feelings that we feel today. And that you showed us that it is okay to express them. But you also taught us the godly way to deal with them. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to allow us to deal with these emotions, to deal with these, all of these different topics that we have been discussing, Lord. Lord, continue to show us to, to navigate through them in a way that honors you, God. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would have been received by your church, Lord, and that we would apply it to our lives, Lord. Right now, as we get ready to dismiss, I pray, God, whatever it is, Lord, that we have planned today or for the rest of this week, God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with your church, that you would be with your people, God, Lord, that you would increase their hunger and the desires to chase after you, God. Lord, that you would allow them to remember no matter where they go, work, school, family functions, that you have called them to be the salt of this earth. You've called them to be the light of this world that you called them to stand out, not to blend in. Lord Jesus, use them and be with us to be your light. And church, we leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. 
May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you his peace, which supersedes all understanding. In Jesus' holy, mighty name, the church of God says, amen. Amen, amen and amen. Church, God bless you. We love you. Make sure to grab a handout on the life group and email those lead leaders this week to get set up.